The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you're having a wonderful and blessed weekend. A time to get away from all the nonsense and all the, the talking heads in the media, going around, running around, sharing the same old stories time and time again. I have a jam-packed show for you today. I want to talk to you about a couple of things I'm really passionate to talk to you about. One is American exceptionalism and what it actually is and why you're an exceptional nation. I want to talk to you about your revolutions. And I also want to talk to you about your language, how it's been compromised today on an everyday basis. The reason this show is going to be critical for me and for you if you're going to be a long-term listener because this is going to be the foundation this is going to be the building stone of future shows so when i decided to to come back when i decided that i wanted to go over to america on vacation and do uh, do some public speaking i wanted to add it something meaningful to people's lives i just didn't want to have another generic speech that you've heard time and time again I wanted to add some meaning to it. I wanted to kind of push some people against a wall in a, not in a literal sense, but in a, in a, in a thinking sense and kind of go quest, get you to question the way you see the world, the way you see America, the way you see principles. And that's what I want to do with you today. So before we can do that, though, I think one of the things we need to do, especially when we talk about American exceptionalism, is to understand there's a big failure in our society today to understand and to articulate why America is an exceptional nation. I think part of that is true to your education. I think part of that is true to true Hollywood, true to media, true to culture. There is this growing sense of people saying America sucks. And there's this other sense of people just going, yeah, we're great, we're wonderful, we're awesome, everything we do is just amazing, we are just, everything we touch, touches goes to gold. And neither side, I think, neither opinion is, I don't share. I'm not going to say it's right or it's wrong. I just don't share it. I see America a very different way. But one of the reasons I think, personally, is that there's a growing number of people who, in society, have not read, do not want to read, or do not care about world history. There is a growing number of Americans who, if the story or the narrative doesn't involve America... America does, there are Americans who don't want to know. And I think if you have that attitude or that opinion, it's hard to understand why America is a truly exceptional nation. So today I'd ask you just for your patience, especially in this first segment, I'm going to give you a very, very brief overview of the history of the world. And what I would ask you to do is, as I'm going through this, I would ask you, I painted this picture and I'll be sharing it on, online on my, on my website, freedomsdisciple.com, and on, on social media, on Twitter and Facebook. And basically, to pink, picture the history of the world, I drew two circles. One circle was like a pizza. 
It was divvied up into 8, 12, 16 slices, ever how many slices you want to divvy it up into. And the other one was full. It was whole. It wasn't divided in any way. This is the picture I have when I see the world and the history of the world. Now, to those who are listening who are kind of going, well, you're a Christian, John. You have a different timeline or a different aspect of the world because I'm not a Christian. This picture is apt whether you think the world is 5,000 years old or whether you think the world is a million years old or 10 billion years old, whatever the number is. This picture is apt. Because in the history of the world, simply put, it can be divided into two sets of people. One on the left, when the, in the pie chart that's divvied up into 8, 10, 12 slices, and one is whole. And these two sets of people, these two groups of people, are so diametrically opposed, they are like chalk and cheese. They have very little in common, but they're very humanity. And let me explain some of the differences to you. The first difference starts right at the start. One group, the group that's divvied up into 12, 16 slices, ever how many you've divvied it up into here in your brain, does not believe life is precious. They do not believe not, life is nothing more than a resource to these people. I'm going to share some stories with you to prove these points. So in Europe right now, you've seen these debates happen. And sadly, Europe is on a lot of the losing sides on these debates. The first one was, uh, happened several years ago, Switzerland. You have a right now to assist someone killing themselves. Assisted suicide, assisted euthanasia. That is now a right in Europe. You saw this in Great Britain. I know if you're a listener to The Blaze or to Glenn Beck or to me, you would have seen this story, Charlie Gard. Horrific, horrific story. It didn't matter how much money that family had in their bank account and they had like $2 million. doesn't matter how much money you have. If the government says lay down and die because you, quote, have a right to die with dignity, you better lay down and die. You saw this story again, which is not in Europe, but in Iceland, where I don't know if you, about you, but if, when you read this headline, you were excited and then you read the article, you were disgusted. The headline was, Iceland has cured, or not cured, Iceland has solved Down syndrome. And you're like, yes, happy days, wonderful. What country, you know, what, what person should we honor? How have we solved this? What medical breakthrough have we made? What cure? Is it an injection? Is it pills? Is it, what is it? It's none of those. It's abortion. You see this time and time again. The other set of people, which has no division in it, believes life is precious. Life is not only precious, but it is a fundamental right from your creator. Whether your creator is God, whether it is Allah, whether it is a stone, whether it's Mother Nature, ever who your creator is, it is a fundamental right. Second difference between these two groups of people. Rights come from the powerful in the first set of people. They always come from the powerful, whether that's a dictator, whether that's a king or a queen, whether that's a Taoiseach or a prime minister, or whether it's just a government. Rights always come from government. The other set of people says, no, 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 no. We're diametrically opposed to that. Rights come, again, from your creator. Another difference. They believe in the collective. So you see this time and time again in society where the group of people who just divvied up always believes in labels. You're judged by a label, not on your individual merit, but on your label. So what label, what class system do you belong to? 
Where, what education do you have? What college did you go to? What is your income status? What family do you come from? Where do you live? Are you urban or suburban? Who's your family? Who's your father? What did your father do? You always have these. What's your, what's your profession? What's your race? What's your age? What's your sexual preference? We will judge you on a label. And depending on society, that label can either be good or bad. The other set of people says, no, I'm going to judge you on your individual merit. Next difference. The group on the right says, you are allowed to follow the passions that you are passionate about as long as the government says it's okay. Other set of people says, no, 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 you have a right to follow and pursue your own happiness, to chart your own course, to follow what it is you are passionate about and pursue that dream with everything you have. And then added on to that, the other group of set of people says, no, no, if you are allowed, if you want to pursue your happiness and the government says it's okay, you have to pay a certain tax to give that. You're not allowed to keep the fruits of your labor. Because we can take it at a moment's notice by a decree or by a law, whether it's 10%, whether it's 50%, or whether it's 90%. The other set of people says, no, you have a fundamental right to keep the fruits of your labor. Next biggest difference between these set of people is the group that's divvied up into sections will always say this. The politicians or the powerful, ever who they are of the day, will always say to you, you need me to change society. You need me. Elect me. I'll be your champion. Oh, you need that? You have this problem? You know what will fix that problem? It's this law. Elect me and I will fight for this law. The other set of people says, no, 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 no. Powerful have their place. Politicians have their place. Religions have their place. But here's the difference. Fundamentally, you can change the world. You don't need anyone else. You don't need to elect someone else to be the change. You can change the world. Here's where you start seeing smaller differences, but they're key. And these are foundational stones of what we're going to talk about in the future. On the group that's divvied, the power is always from the top. So ever who's at the top of the government, they say, I want X amount of powers. I want to do A, B, C. And then they go, well, everything else I don't care about. And then maybe a parliament comes in and goes, well, we look after, you know, D, E, F, and G. But, you know, everything else we don't care about. And then whatever's left goes down to the local government and to local municipalities. The other set of people says, no, 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 no. Power is always at the bottom up. Two last big differences. One, the group that's divided says there are no limits on government. Government can do anything it wants, when it wants. Whether it's popular or not, there are no fundamental limits. It can pass any law it wants. Now, if they don't like the law, the people don't like that, and you live in a quote-unquote democracy, you can obviously change your leadership and change the law back. But there are no checks, because man is the ultimate authority. The other sets of people says, no, there is very much a limit on government. Because man is not the ultimate authority is, our creator is. Those are the big differences. But I want to add one more which is key. And it's key today in 2017. You see, the society that divides itself into those little circles says always wants to tear people down. The other society seeks to build people up. Seeks to empower them with the truth and to let them pursue their own happiness. 
It's like the old story Ronald Reagan used to share back in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and, and on. And he said, it's a very short story, which I'll share with you. What's the difference between a capitalist and a socialist? Well, a capitalist and a socialist are walking down the road one day, and all of a sudden, this big, now Ronald Reagan used to say it, a big Jaguar passed them by. But a Jaguar isn't really the elite car of the day anymore as it was back then. So think of whatever car you think is the super rich. Whatever car, you know, the evil Donald Trump would drive. You know, whether it's a Maserati or a Ferrari or a gold-plated, I don't know, Bentley. Think of the most elite uh, car. The socialist will turn and see that car and go, oh, that's such a waste of resources. That's, that one person having that much wealth, that is just so wrong. I'm going to find out who owns that car, and I'm going to get it from him and share it around. The capitalist simply turns around and says, I can't be bothered. I'll just go create something and get one of my own. And that is fundamentally the difference. These are the fundamental differences in the history of the world. So who are these two sets of people? Because we have to put names on them. We have to identify them. Well, the first set of people, the pie chart, as I drew it as, or pizza, whichever way you want to draw it, that's divvied up into different sections, has some of the following labels in them. And it goes all the way back to the dawn of man. Whether you lived in, in ancient Egypt with the pharaohs, whether you lived in China with the dynasties, whether you lived in a lot of countries back then with kings and queens, whether you had empires like the great British Empire, whether you had a dictatorship, whether you had an oligarchy, or whether you had a theocracy. These were all common frames in their society. But it goes so much deeper than that, because here's where the ideologies start to kick in. Some of the ideologies that belong in this divided chart is Marxists, communists, socialists, progressives, Nazis, fascists. And now some you're hearing today that are in a positive light, but they are not. Populism belongs in that group. Yes, populism. Tribalism belongs in that group. Nationalism belongs in that group. And our good old friend, which so many people love to, to give a big cuddle to today and think it's such a great thing and, and promote when it really isn't. Our good old friend, democracy, belongs in that group. Make no mistake, the chart that is divided, all those labels and so many offshoots of the ones I spoke about. So like when I spoke about socialism being in that group, all its offshoots are in that group. Democratic socialism, national socialism. These all belong in that group. In the other group that is divided, that is not divided, sorry, there's only one member. It's a reason it's not divided. That one member is the America. It is the idea of America. It has not been fully achieved yet on certain principles. Like you look at the, the right to life. You can't say America has fully embraced that idea yet. Even though it's enshrined in your documents, it hasn't fully embraced it. This is the battle we find ourselves in. This is the polar opposite of how different our groups are. When I come back after this quick break, I'm going to start talking to you about the battle we find ourselves in today and the battle that people want to make it out to be. Don't go anywhere. You won't want to miss what I have to say. I'll be right back. (laughs) 
freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Freedom's Disciple On Demand On the Blaze Radio Network Thank you so much for sticking with me, America So as I outlined in the first segment That is the way I see the world The history of the world Whether it's 5,000 years old or 1 million years old Now I'd ask you just to picture those two pictures The two charts One divided and one not. And think of everything I spoke about. Life, role of government, who, your, who the ultimate authority is in society. Now think of society today in 2017. And what the big battle is that everyone talks about. The big battle everyone wants to talk about is politics. Everyone wants to focus on the big battle in America, John, is, is the Republicans versus the Democrats. I hear that an awful lot. I also hear, well, you know, the problem is, 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 is the conservatives and the liberals. That's the big battle. I also hear battles, you know, inside, in, inside different camps. I hear there's a big battle going on between the Trumpers and the never-Trumpers. And this is the battle of society. It's possible, maybe that is a small battle. But if it is a battle, it's very small. Because when you see the history of the world, and even if you don't agree with what I said, the differences. Because it's easy to point out, you know, well, John, look in America. America, America doesn't, the government doesn't work that way anymore. It's the ultimate authority in so many people's eyes. Okay. The difference between America and the rest of the world, and why you're still a special, is because while the rest of the world loves to scoff at you for saying these things, they've never done anything on these things. You have them in your shrining documents. You have them in your founding documents. You have them somewhere. You have a foundational stone to build on. You just have to choose whether you want to build on it or not. Others haven't even got that foundation. The history of the world, the way I see it, the battle is, looking at that picture, it's not Democrats versus Republicans. It's not liberals versus conservatives. It's easy to look at that battle and go, well, okay, is it liberty versus tyranny? Yeah, you could describe it as that. You could even go so far and say, well, John, what you just said, it's America versus the rest of the world. You could say that, but I think it even goes much deeper. Because the history of the world, to me, in a very simple, isolated context, is this battle. And it's a battle for the ages. It is a battle of man's law versus the law of God and the law of nature and the law of your creator. That is the fundamental battlefield that we find ourselves on. The history of the world didn't even understand this was a battle until 1776. And I would even make an argument that in 2017, you still don't. It is a battle of man's law, which is flawed, which is based on populist ideas of the time. Remember, there was a time when this world was considered, if you thought this world wasn't flat, you were like, oh my God, what are you? Are you some type of moron? Of course it's flat. There were times where if you said, you know what, we're going to go to the moon, you were laughed at. 
If you said to people 50 years ago that we'd be out, you'd listen, you could listen to an Irish guy uh, record stuff, download it to the internet. Someone could, uh, my producer um, in America could produce my show, put it all together and put it out so you could listen to it and you could listen to it free. They would have scoffed at you and said, you're crazy. Remember, that's all populism is. It's just popular at a certain time. This alone, this fact, when you see the history of the world, makes you an exceptional nation. If you just want to factually point out why America is exceptional, I just made the case. Because you can't dispute that. Because there are two different sets of people. But I think it goes even further than that. And this is where we need to go to your history, to American history. Because I see a lot of people under say, you know what, America was an exceptional nation from day one. Because our revolution was amazing. I'd ask you a question today. Who and what was the American Revolution against? Smile or wave your hand in the air, even though I can't see you right now, if you think the the popular answer that everyone gives is right. Because the popular answer is, well, America fought against the independence, the, the revolution, Against England, the Hessians, the Redcoats, whatever label you want to give them. And it happened in 1776. Yeah! Go America! You see, here's the thing. I think we need to talk about this. And have a real honest conversation about it. Because what happened in 1776 against the British was not revolutionary. It wasn't exceptional. Because if you look at the American Revolution as exceptional, and you just think it was a war, how are you exceptional? How are you different to any other nation in the history of the world? Because if you do a quick Google search, and I have, there is at least 645 revolutions that we know about, or revolutionary-type movements. The first one happened nearly 5,000 years ago in ancient Egypt. Ireland had a revolution. France had many of them. Even today, if you go by Google standards of revolutionary-type movements, there is 12 types of revolutionary movements going on right now as we speak. There's one in Sudan, Syria, Lebanon, Kurdistan, Turkey, Tunisia, Niger, Iraq, Libya, Ukraine, and Venezuela. So if you think the American Revolution was about a war against Britain, how are you exceptional? How are you unique? You're just one of 645 that we know about, and there may be even more. You see, here's the problem. The American Revolution wasn't actually a war. But don't take what an Irishman thinks about this. Don't think, well, John thinks that. No, 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 no. Don't, who cares what I think? I'm going to quote from your founding fathers. Quote, what do we mean by the revolution? The war? That was no part of the revolution. It was only an effect and a consequence of it. The revolution was in the hearts and minds of the people before a drop of blood was shed. That was John Adams, the second president of the United States. The revolution, when I think of the American Revolution, I don't think necessarily of a war. There are parts of it that you think of. You you think of all the great stories. You know, Washington inspiring. Um, George Washington having many, many battles. You think of defeat after defeat of the English. You think of the French getting involved. You think of that harsh winter. You think of the different setups of of the troops. Um, One very untrained, um, unprepared on having not the right equipment, not having the right bedding, going around in, without shoes on in a brutal, harsh winter, and another, the well-drilled, well-trained, well-equipped, well-fed army. 
There's many, many stories about that. But that is a revolutionary war. The American Revolution was so much more than a war. It effectively was a revolution redefining man's relationship with man, man's relationship with God, and man's relationship with government. That is what the revolution was about. That is why your declaration of independence is so critical. But we'll get to that in just a minute. Because what I want to talk to you about is I want to talk to you about revolutions. I want to talk to you about some words you're hearing today. And I want to compare them. So when I read American history and I think of world history, especially around the revolutionary time, I think it's very hard to distinguish or to differentiate the American Revolution and the French Revolution. Because they happen around the same time. Some of the same characters were involved, people like Thomas Paine. And I want to talk to you about it because I want to compare some principles that I think are very important to remember. The American Revolution and the French Revolution are always thought about the same. Well, they're very much the same. They, they stand for the same. And many people have made this mistake during the time Thomas Paine was one of them. Because if you think there are three tenets of the French Revolution... They're on every building in France, in French. They're very synonymous with them, and I want to talk to you about them. The first two sound great. Freedom and liberty. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? That sounds a lot like me. That sounds like like a lot like the American Revolution. They must be like us, right? No. It's the third tenant that separates them. Because when they talked about fraternity, which is brotherhood, which is basically under what I spoke about in the first segment... A man's law, you judge by a label. There's a reason France had six revolutions. This is a very quick snapshot of French Revolution. One side had power, or got power, and it seeked to impose its will on the other side. And the other side convalesced and licked its wounds and then gained power and, and plotted and got its power. And then when it won, it seeked to impose its will on the other. The history of the world is true, so much of this. You read so many revolutions. One side gets power and it seeks to impose their will on someone else. That is fundamentally man's law. It's my law. I'm going to impose my will on you. I'm going to make you listen to my show whether you want to or not. The other side is, no, I'm not going to impose my will because there are certain things that are coming from our creator. You have a choice to listen to the show. You have a choice not to listen to it. You have a choice to say it's good. You have a choice to say it's bad. Freedom is a wonderful thing. But while France was talking about brotherhood, America was the exact opposite. It said something that is so synonymous with the American Revolution in my eyes and with the culture of America that I think it needs to be reintroduced. Three words. E pluribus unum. Out of many, one. How many people think today, out of many, one? How many people think today that we're all just brotherhood? Look around today in 2017 and think about this. How many people today in America actually practice e pluribus unum? How many people, or how many Democrats do you know who go around going, you know what, if Texas burnt tomorrow, I wouldn't care. You saw this in some producers. But you also see it on the right, quote-unquote. How many people do you know... Have, said, have you heard say the following? I've seen it online an awful lot. You know what, John? If California succeeded and had the Cal exit, I wouldn't miss them at all. Because, you know, those Californian people, they're only wackos and a bunch of libtards. That's not my word, by the way. Just I hate that word. But I've had that said to me. 
E pluribus unum, out of many, one. But it went even further. So I was in America at many speaking engagements. Every speaking engagement, bar one, because, bar two, sorry, one was a church service and the second was a business meeting. But every political quote-unquote meeting I was at started with the Pledge of Allegiance. It's in your pledge. One people with liberty and justice for all. How many people today actually practice that? How many people today actually believe that? Or do we just believe, well, if, you're, if you believe what I believe, if, you're, if I'm a lefty and you're a lefty, we don't care about anyone else. If you're a righty and I'm a righty, we don't care about anyone else. The second difference, before we get to the Declaration of Independence, because this is what I want to share with you in the next segment, is so many people today focus on one word. And this isn't about any president or any politician. This is about your people. I don't care. I just want to win. I hear this so much. I just want to win elections. I just want the Republicans to hold the House and the Senate. I just want the Republicans to do this. I just want the White House. You heard this from politicians, and it's been repeated time and time again. I just want to win. The Tea Party movement. While it wasn't coming from them. John Boehner. We just need to get the House in 2010. We just need to win. And they won. And then uh, 2012 and 2014, it was just, well, what we need to do is we need to get the Senate. We just need to win. And they got the Senate. And nothing changed. And then it went from after 2010 and 2014, after getting the House and the Senate, we just need the White House. 2016, they got the White House. They didn't get their candidate, but they, they got the White House. And what have they done since? Absolutely nothing. Because to them, and to so many people in the media, and to the people today online, it's all about winning. That's what the French Revolution was about. Our side getting power so I can impose my will on someone else and on the others. The American Revolution was never about winning. If you think the American Revolution was about winning, I would ask you humbly to say, at what point do you think that was likely? Let me give you a conversation. I'd ask you this weekend, just to think of this conversation. Imagine if you're a man, you're George Washington. If you're a woman listening, you're Martha Washington. And imagine it's the day you're George Washington and you have just signed up to be the leader of the Continental Army. And you're skipping yourself home going, I'm going to get me some freedom. I'm George Washington and and we're going to kick some English butt. And then you go into your home and Martha's there and, hey honey, how you doing? What did you do today, huh? I missed you. He goes, well, I had a great day, honey. I missed you too. I, I just am so excited. I, today is a groundbreaking day for me. Oh, why? What did you do, honey? I signed up to be the leader of the Continental Army. Do you think she slapped him silly? I don't know enough about history to know if this happened back then, but do you think George Washington, quote-unquote, slept on the settee that night? Do you think, think Martin went, Ah, oh, that's great, honey, I'm so excited for you. Or do you think she went, What have you done? Honey, sit, we need to have a conversation. You know those conversations that just sit, you need to stop talking and you need to listen. And you're going to listen to me. You ever had those conversations? I'm sure you have. Just think about that conversation. And then think about, well, the American Revolution was all about winning, right? Oh, but let's fast forward a bit. He signs up to be the leader. He goes out and leads men. 
And they fight the British. And they engage the British. And they lose. And they retreat. And then they engage them again. And they lose and they retreat. And then they engage them again and then they lose and retreat again. At what point did the American Revolution just become about winning? Or was it much deeper than that? Was it something about doing the right thing? Because here's the thing that I'd love to break to some of my democratic friends today. The America that you love, that you talk about, and that you're proud to be part of, because yes, I do have democratic friends before anyone asks, who are very proud to be in America, they just see the world slightly different. And that's okay. But I would love to see those who believe in a type of class warfare explain this to me. Those who could pay the tax back then, who could have afforded, who had the power, who had the statue, the, the stature in society, who had the money, could just, I just pay the extra 5%, it's fine, don't worry about it. Just, just okay, just do it. Just, just to go along to get along, just to have peace, let's just pay the extra money. It wasn't those who signed your Declaration of Independence. It wasn't those men who said, you know what, just let's go along to get along. It was those men, the rich, the millionaires, the capitalists, the one percenters of the day who said, no, 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 that's not right. It's not right for anyone. It's immoral. Let's fight. Let's stand for something bigger. It was those brave men and women who changed the world. But that brings me right to the Declaration of Independence. And when I come back, I'd ask you to humbly stay with me. Because when we get back, I want to share a couple of pointers, which today Americans can learn from the Declaration of Independence. They've inspired me, and they've inspired my message. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I know today's a bit of a heavy show, so what we're doing going forward is this show is going to be released in full every Saturday at noon Eastern, which you can find. It's on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher now. But also what we're doing on a Monday is we're releasing segments of the show. So, because I know today is going to is a bit of a he- hot and heavy subject and there's a lot to take in. So rather than, if you want to listen to it in full, go for it. Awesome. But if you want to listen to it in br- broken down pieces in each segment, please consider doing that as well and sharing it with your friends. So, I look at today and I look at society in 2017. And I, I'm so... Ab- I've always loved your Declaration of Independence. I never want anyone to think I didn't. But I always consider myself a constitutionalist. But what I've come to realize and learning more about myself and learning more as who I am as a man, but also seeing society, I've realized of the founding three documents, it's the least important. It's the third most important of three. It's behind the Bill of Rights in my eyes, and it's also behind the Declaration of Independence, which I see as the most important. That is the foundation upon which America was built. And there are four things reading the Declaration of Independence that I think we can learn today. That I think in 2017, it's like the founders said, you know what, this, is, this needs to be learned all the time. 
And I want to break these points down to you very quickly. The first point is the layout of the Declaration of Independence. And this is very key to this show with the way I'm going forward. Because if you look around at society today, it is so easy. And I don't care what side of the, uh, the ideological spectrum you find yourself on. Everyone loves to tell you what they don't like. Everyone loves to tell you online who sucks and what sucks. I'm seeing my friends on the left go, Bill O'Reilly, he's some type of... I won't say some of the words he said. My friends on the right are either don't care or are outraged at the Harvey Weinstein. You know, there you go. There's See, that's liberal Hollywood for you. That's, 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 that's the culture that it is. I have more friends on the right going, you know what, I'm glad the NFL is, is tanking in the ratings. Uh, they're just, they're, they're bad, they suck, they need to fall, they need to fail. Anyone, bar anyone, can tell you what they're against. Your Declaration of Independence, your founding fathers, I think, were so remarkable men for many reasons. But one was the layout of the Declaration of Independence. Because if you actually read it, you have to read a lot of text before you get to their first gripe. The founding fathers, when they were writing the Declaration of Independence, were like, you know what? We have a lot of issues with the king. We do not like this king. In fact, I actually have 27 issues against them. But before I do that, before I tell you what I don't like, what, what my grievances are, before I do that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what I'm for. I am for all men being created equal. I am for all men having certain rights from God. I am for life, liberty, and property. Yes, property was in there before pursuit of happiness. And it was changed for political reasons, which we will get to in another show. Because I see this slavery debate coming out again. This slavery, well, oh, those founding fathers were just wicked slave owners. If you understand the fundamental reason the Declaration of Independence was changed from the right to property to the right to pursue happiness, those claims you love to make about the racist slave-owning founding fathers have no credibility and no standing. But that's for a future show. That is why they were remarkable. They told you what they are for, not what they are against. I have, this has inspired me. I've always tried to tell you what I'm for, but just because of the politics and, and the way that the society has been, it's easy to fall into the, oh, the Democrats suck. Yeah, okay, democratically the politicians suck, but you know who also sucks? The Republicans. But I don't want to do that. I want to tell you what I am for. I want to follow, to try and follow in your founding father's footsteps. Second thing, today everyone loves to talk to you about their rights. They have certain rights. I have rights, you know, man. Hey, man, I have rights. Uh-huh. Our friends on the right love to say, I have a right to the bare arms. I have a right to my gun. Mm-hmm. Our friends on the left love to say, I, I have a right to contraception. I, I, have a, I, I have a right to abort my baby. We all love talking about rights. First of all, what I find funny is a lot of people don't know what their rights are from the Bill of Rights and from the Declaration of Independence. But that's just a side point. But the one thing that we have to understand is if we all have people on all sides of this political spectrum and all they want to focus in on is their rights, we have to understand you are having incomplete sentences. Because rights don't come alone. Rights also come with responsibilities. And if you only want to talk about your rights and not your responsibilities, you are creating a vacuum in society. And vacuums are always filled. And historically, going back to the first segment, the history of the world, it is always filled by those in power. 
So you can talk about your rights all day long, but if you negate to talk about your responsibilities, government will take those responsibilities and then you have the law of man again. But don't take my word for it. It's not in your Declaration of Independence once. It's in it twice in the first 250 words. Your founding father said, It is the right of the people to alter or abolish their government. They just didn't say that and stop. They went, No, no, it is the right of the people to alter and abolish your government and to institute new government. The second time they said, Under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty. Duty. To throw off such a government and to provide new guards for your future security. Not once but twice in the first 250 or 300 words of your founding document, the Declaration of Independence, that they speak about responsibilities and duty and rights. Rights without responsibilities mean nothing. The third thing I would take from the Declaration of Independence. It's a small thing. But if you read enough of your founding father's literature, their own words their own writings, the the founding documents, the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers, I believe you get to see into their soul a small bit. One small word is so critical. The way they signed off the Declaration of Independence, we pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes and our sacred honour. We knew life was important to them because they said it's the first right from your creator. You have a right to life. We knew fortunes were important because, as I said, the 54 signers of the Declaration of Independence were classed as the one percenters, the bourgeoisie of the day. But they only said one word is so critical to our survival. One word is so critical that it needs to be understood that we need to give a bit of honour. Because honour is sacred. Honour is critical. How many people today in their everyday lives have honour? How many people act with honour? Now I know when I say this to some people, we always go, well, politicians suck, don't they? Uh Uh-huh. Well, the media don't do their job. It's all fake news. Hashtag fake news. Uh Uh-huh. Well, it's all those big businesses, you know? Uh Uh-huh. I get it. How many people in your circle have honour? Do you have honour? Do you act with honour at all times? Just something to think about. We all have to act with honour and with responsibilities. And the last thing, in every stage of our oppressions, we have petitioned for redress. And this is the most important part in the signing off the Declaration of Independence. Think about 2017 with these words, not my words, your founding fathers. We have seeked redress in the most humblest of terms. The most humblest of terms. How many people do that? In 2017. How many people talk about a redress? I have an issue and I have, I've been gravely given this injustice. I've had injustice done to me. But I'm going to seek redress in humble terms. Or do we go and get hashtags and get insults and, and throw people and, and get onto Twitter and get onto Facebook and yell and go, You screwed me, you did this, you're bad. Or do we do it in humble terms? But I feel like, just to emphasise the point, you know, to be the founding fathers, give that bit of oomph, I need to share a story with you and ask you a question, just to prove to you from your history. Because I get the times, well, John, you're talking about a document that's 241 years old, blah, 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 blah. I'm bored. Principles are great. Just talk to me about real life. Okay, I can talk to you about real life as well. Question. 
the great battle between Malcolm X and the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Who won? Who won? In case you don't know, I'll give you a little spoiler alert. One has a federal holiday named after him. But why did Martin Luther King win? Why did the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King win and Malcolm X lose? There are many reasons, which, again, we'll probably get to in a future show. But the simple answer is, he was following in the footsteps of your founding fathers. Just think about what I spoke about. What did Martin Luther King do and Malcolm X didn't? Malcolm X was about preaching hate, about get them. I've had this injustice to me. These people are bad people. Get them. Get them. And he would tell you everything he was against in angry, angry terms. He was speaking about his rights, but he never spoke about his responsibilities to society. Martin Luther King was the exact opposite. Martin Luther King didn't tell you what he was against. He told you what he was for. I believe in a man being judged by the content of his character and not the colour of his skin. Kind of sounds familiar to what I started the show about history of the world. Do we judge a label or do we judge a man by his character? Do we judge a label, a race, a gender, a class? Or do we judge a person by the content of their character? Martin Luther King, when Malcolm X was telling everybody what he was against, Martin Luther King was painting a picture of what he was for. But he also did it in humble terms. While Malcolm X was out there shouting and rallying and raising cries of racism and angries and saying, get them, get whitey. Martin Luther King was walking in Selma across the bridge, arm in arm, seeking redress in humble terms. This is life experience. I would ask you just to think about that story this weekend and going forward. How do you want to be perceived? I know you have had injustices done to you. We all have. We all have had things that we think are injustices. I know it's easy to get angry. I've had my issues in the last year, which you know about. It is so easy to get angry. There's always seems to be someone there or something inside you going, get angry, get angry, lash out. I get it. I do. It doesn't do anything. Because here's the question that you need to ask yourself. Let's say you have an injustice done to you and you're very angry and you start lashing out. How does that solve the problem? How does that make things better? Or does that just make the situation worse and compound it by maybe closing off an avenue that you didn't know existed through your anger and your hate? I get the frustration to be angry, especially today. But what has it solved? The world has seen anger for 5,000 years. Has it solved anything? America wasn't about angry. America was about doing the right thing. In 2017, I'd ask you just to think and look around at society today and just look at those four things from your founding document. Telling the world what you're for, not what you're against. Rights and responsibilities. Acting with honour. And seeking redress in humble terms. We'll come back to the Declaration of Independence in future shows. 
but this is just a foundation. But when I come back, I'd ask you to stick with me. I want to talk to you about how your language has been infiltrated. Don't go anywhere. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Freedom's Disciple on Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I hope today has given you some enlightenment. I hope it's given you some enjoyment. I hope, most importantly, it's given you something to think about. But before we finish today's show, I want to hit you with some thing, key things that are, I see in your language, in your everyday language, that your, how your language has been infiltrated with terms that are not traditionally apt in America. And I'm going to hit these in the bullet point form. The first one is, I hear this on the media all the time. When I was over there in September, it was blowing my mind. Because I heard this phrase time and time again. The left-right divide in America has never been bigger. I wish, this is, if you want to find, in my eyes, just the way I see the world, of something that you could get consensus on, it should be to drop the terms left-right. Because it means absolutely nothing, especially when you understand the history of it. The history of the, of the left-right words mean absolutely nothing. And, by the way, this is not a conservative thing or a libertarian thing. It's a liberal thing as well. So we'll start with our friends on the left. I'm a proud progressive lefty because I believe in absolutely nothing. I'm a proud right-wing tea partier because I believe in nothing. The left-right means absolutely nothing. It doesn't mean anything in ideological grounds. It does not mean anything in principles it does not mean in anything in your belief system the whole left-right divide comes from where you sat in parliament the left sat on the left side of parliament the right sat on the right side side of parliament but also it means absolutely nothing even around the world to this day even to those who don't understand um world politics because if you say oh you're a lefty and you say it in america and you say that in ireland you say that in russia and you say that in china it means four different things you say you're righty in America, in Russia, in China, in Ireland, means four different things. It might mean some variation of it, but they mean different things. The answer isn't a left-right divide. The answer is a principles. And even if your principles are socialism and big government and progressivism and, and control of government and, and man's law, okay, well, at least then be that and say that's what you're for. Don't use the left don't use the right. Because even, the, especially for folks on the right, if you understand anything about me, just even if you don't like me, even if you hate my guts, and you, th- you understand one thing about me, and kind of go, well, John's a right ringer. No, I'm not. I'm the furthest thing from a right ringer you'll ever meet. I live in Europe. I know what a right winger is. I'm not one of them. 
It's not about ideology. It's not about principles. It's not about ideas. It's not about even policies. It's purely where you sat in Parliament. The second one is, our friend George Bush was giving a speech the other day. I'm sure you heard about it. It was an outrage. It was an interesting speech. I'm not here to discuss it, but one of the things he says, it has my, it's one of my pet peeves. I literally scream every time an American says it. I think I die a little bit inside. Every time I hear an American say this word, I just want to go, oh. America says this word. Oh, another one. But George Bush said this word, I'd say it felt like 150,000 billion gazillion times. He said it more than your national debt in my head. That word, of course, is democracy. I can say this, and it always shocks people. Democracy sucks. Democracy is nothing more than a form of populism. That's all it is. It's 50% of the voting public who can vote, who actually do, plus one saying something's right. If I say, if I get 50% of the people plus one who vote to say abortion's legal, is that all of a sudden right? If I get, and let's even go higher, let's go to a higher threshold. If I get 60% plus one of the population to say Jews don't have a right to be existent, is that all right? That's democracy. America is not a democracy. America has never been a democracy. And God willing, America will never be a democracy. America is a constitutional republic. And yes, there's a significant, significant difference. Because when you read about Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany, read some of the stuff he did. That's not the biggest crime in many people's eyes. The biggest crime is everything he did was legal. Next term, the American dream. I see so many people say this online. I have achieved the American dream. I've had people say this to me over the last two or three years. I've achieved the American dream, John. I'm like, wonderful. Tell me about it. What's it like? And then they always go and say, I'm just like you. Because I, they knew about my dream. Their dream, so many people achieving the American dream is about materialistic things. It's about, well, you know, I achieved the American dream. I earned a million dollars last year, John. Wow, wonderful. It's not the American dream. Hey, I just bought my second house. I just achieved the American dream. Wonderful. I'm delighted for you. I really am. I'm ecstatic. It's not the American dream. Hey, I, I, I had five vacations last year. I have a second car. I have a second home. I'm living the American dream. I'm absolutely delighted for you. I really am. I'm ecstatic. It might not sound, but I am. This is, this is me excited. Um... But it's not the American dream. The American dream that I know about, and that has been traditional, has been about freedom. I don't ever want to have, I don't have many aspirations in life. All I ever had was to be an American. When I had a dream, I never thought about how much money I wanted to earn. If I achieved the American dream and got over there, if I earned $25,000, I'd be chuffed. I don't have high salary expectations. I'm really cheap. See, that even means different things in different places. If you say I'm really cheap, which I just did on air for you all to hear, there are certain people who will think different things about that. But that's just how people roll. I don't have any aspirations to be rich or famous. My American dream was about having the opportunity to be a free man, to control my destiny, to pursue my own happiness in the way I see fit. And also to have the freedom to reap my rewards. So if it happens to be that I got over there and I got a... I don't know, radio gig and I, and I got a big contract, then I have that freedom. 
and I have the right to keep my own happiness and to keep my own labour. But it's not. The American dream is about freedom and opportunity and to pursue your happiness. Anything that comes from it that's materialistic, that's like your money or your house or your yachts or your cars or your holidays, they're an outcome of the American dream. But they are not the American dream. And last one, I hear this from everyone I say. Last one, this is how I got my show on the blaze. By ringing up Glenn, because he was using this word, just to dispel the myth that's out there for any of y'all who are listening going, well, Glenn only hires people that agree with him. I'm the exact proof he doesn't. And I wasn't subtle about it. I rang him up on his own show, on his national radio show, and said, please stop using this word, you should know better. And he gave me a show anyway. That term is the middle class. I hear so many people saying I'm part of the middle class as if it's something to be proud of. I've achieved the American dream. I'm officially middle class. Huh. Let's go back to your history. Your declaration of independence says all men are created equal. How can you fundamentally believe you are created equal if you believe in a class system? If you think, huh, because if there's a middle class, there's automatically two other classes. Automatically. There's the upper class and there's the lower class because you're in the middle. How can you believe all men are created equal and have a class system? But also, the psychological message it sends. I just explained earlier on why America is exceptional. Being middle class is saying be average. Dream to be average. Middle of the pack. That's what we're telling our kids and our grandkids today. Don't be, don't be, don't be too successful. That's wrong. That's not, that's not fair. You know, don't be too successful. That's what the greedy millionaires and billionaires do. And we don't like them and we seek to tear them down. But also, don't be down the bottom. You know, don't be down the bottom. Just, just be in the middle. Don't make any waves. Don't make any splashes. Don't, go any, don't become noticeable. Just blend in with everyone else. Be average. That is what we're telling people. Do you think this message works? Do you think this message... Imagine George Washington had said, you know what, let's just, you know, let's win a fair battle, you know. If we take place, if ten battles take place with the British, we'll win five, they win five. That's fair, right? Right? Or how about, imagine yourself, paint this picture for you. I, can, I might be able to get away with this if I made major changes, but just imagine me. Imagine I'm, I've slimmed down an awful lot, which I'm doing. Imagine I, I'm, I'll lose a lot of weight. Imagine I'm good looking. Imagine I'm a Catholic. Imagine I'm a Democrat. Wow, this is, this is quite a change. And imagine I'm president of the United States. And I'm sitting, standing in front of you, and it's 1963. And I say to you, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. By the end of this decade, or maybe the decade after, or, you know, by the end of the century, or, you know, sometime in the foreseeable future, what we're going to do is we're going to build a rocket, and we're just going to go to the atmosphere, and we're going to go, Mwah! Blow it a big kiss and come back down. And, and hopefully the people survive. And, 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 you know, maybe or maybe not. You know, maybe we won't get to the whole atmosphere. Maybe we'll just get half of the way up there. But, you know, just, just you know, give or take. You know, and, it, you know, it mightn't be a rocket. It might be, I don't know, a milk float. Is this inspiring you? Is this inspiring you going, wow, this is going to change the world? Anything I say inspire you? Because that's what being average is. That's what being fair is. Did JFK say that? Or did JFK say, by the end of this decade, we will go to the moon? And did that inspire countless, countless people? Not only to get involved, but to, to share a love of space, to, to share stories, and to get involved. But also, what did JFK do? 
He set a goal, but he also told the world what he was for and not what he was against. Kind of said that earlier on, but it's just a point to be remembered. I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope these are some of the things that uh, give you something pause for thought. But before I go, I just have a, a couple of thoughts I want to share with you. Today, I've given you basic notes in different formats of what I said in September. One of the things I decided to do in September, uh, and I just would ask your patience for one second, is I didn't accept any money. I paid for uh, everything I did in by my, my own pocket. And uh, as a Christian, I always want to help people. And the reason I did this tour, when I went to all these different events, I said, you know what? I can't legally take money, nor do I morally want it, because I'm paying for this myself. But I would ask you if you if you do know, if um, if you do can keep these couple of charities in mind, they're close to my heart, and I'd ask you to keep them in your heart, especially as we go forward. If you can donate to them, awesome. If you can't, just keep them in your thoughts and in your prayers or share awareness with them, because they're doing amazing stuff, and there's a lot of exciting things coming. One is Mercury One um, and the Nazarene Fund. They've rescued 8,200 people, um, evacuated them, given humanitarian aid to 35,000 people. And they're the NazareneFund.org. Um, I'm sure if you're listening to The Blaze or Glenn Beck, you're very familiar with this one. And also the other one is Operation Underground Railroad. Um, we're all outraged about slavery right now, and you're having a debate about slavery. Yet, as we speak today, right here, right now, whenever you listen to this show, there are 2 million kids living in sex slavery. And that's wrong. And they can be raped over ten times a night. And just, it's horrific. If you read some of the stories, you read some of the stuff they do, it's on OURrescue.org. It's, they just do amazing, amazing work. And that's what I did. That's what I tried to raise awareness for. But in closing, I just want to make a couple of quick points. One is, I don't believe in any president, Congress, or Supreme Court. I don't believe in any politician. The sentiments for this show are going to share and echo what the Tocqueville effectively wrote about. That America is great because Americans are good. I shared some stories last week, if you missed the show, check it out, of how I experienced how great Americans were. And there were many, many other stories that I could share, and I will over time, but just, I didn't want to bore you all with just a load of stories and nostalgia in one show. I think I'm going to save some of them. But I don't have, I have faith in each and every one of you. I think each and every one of you listening has a role to play, whether you know it or not. I don't know what your role is. I, I struggle to know my role at times. But please never underestimate yourself. You are part of the American experiment. And you have rights and you have responsibilities. And you have a duty to play. I don't know what that is. It might just be simply to be great in your community, be great in your church, be a great parent. Or it might be something more. It might be run for politician, run for Congress, run for Senate. Or it might be to to set up a charity. I don't know. But my faith is always in your people and the principles of America, not in politics or in your politicians. I'm going to do everything I can to share life experience, share more brief histories of the world, just so you see them, how you see different civilizations working. Because so many people today need to learn history. But also, one of the things I want to do is, I don't want to focus on America, what America has been too much. I don't want to focus even in on what America is today. What I do want to focus in on what America can be and what America must be. 
I still believe your best days are ahead of you. I still believe that. It's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take a lot of divine providence to get there. But I still think it's possible. Because at the end of the day, everything I said all comes down to one question. Do you believe Thomas Paine was right or do you think he was wrong when he said the following? We, we, not government, not politicians, not presidents, we have it in our power to begin the world over again. If you believe, if you think, believe Thomas Paine was speaking uh, like he was rolling doobies or whatever they did back then or he was talking BS or baloney and you don't believe we have it in our power to begin the world over again, I honestly have no idea what to say to you. I'm really sorry. I, I don't know what to say. Give up. Lay down your sword and your shield and do the best you can. But I do believe we have it in our power to begin the world over again. There is no outcomes. I'm not saying you are going to do it. I'm not saying you're going to have better days ahead of you. I can't say it. I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not, I'm not Mystic John here going, well, America, I, I'm reading your palm and it says I'm not doing any of that. There's only one guaranteed outcome I can give you. And that's if everyone lays down their shield and their sword and gives up. We're not going to do that here. We're going to point out what America can be and what America must be. Because I still have that belief. I still see America, the idea, as that shining city on a hill. I see America, the idea, as the highest aspiration a man can have on this earth. I see America of all its potential. When I see America, I don't see a president or a congress. I don't see a military. I don't see, see a great country. I don't see the almighty dollar. I see an idea. I see untapped potential that can be achieved. That is the America we're going to be speaking out about a lot more. And of course, remembering our past heroes and our current heroes. Because we finish today's show the way we always finish each show. This society wants to tell you everyone sucks and tear everyone down and tell you we don't have any heroes. Or if they do say we have heroes, they wear a number on their jersey every Sunday. I'm here to, def- to repel that. To say that isn't true. We do have heroes in society and they walk amongst us and some of them not all of them some of them wear a uniform we salute our police our firefighters our emergency personnel and our vets especially all the the four vets who died in niger a couple of weeks ago and most importantly if you've listened to nothing i've said or haven't taken anything in just remember this i believe this to tocqueville was right in the sentence he said america is great because americans are good that's not me That's not the president. That's each and every one of you. That is what makes you unique. Never, ever stop. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern America, God bless and God bless America. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network.